We're going to do what we came here to do, and that is get into uh, God's Word. And uh, though, you know, I, I had some introductory remarks kind of prepared, but I think we're just going to jump in uh, to uh, where we begin today in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 16 today in a message that I have entitled, Order and Authority in the church. And so let's take our hearts uh, to the Lord. Uh, Lord, once again, we just want to say thank you for your goodness, your graciousness, and your loving kindness and compassion toward us. And Father, I want to pray, God, that today we would have ears to hear you. Lord, I want to pray, God, that, um, that as you confront us, as you, uh, you know, challenge us, that, Lord, you would change us by the power of your spirit. And God, that the seed of your word would find fertile soil in our hearts today. And Lord, that we would grow and that we would be different by the time we leave here, Lord. Maybe wrestling with some things, but, but uh, Lord, to, to the good, to the glory of who you are. And so, Father, just have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's dive right into verse 1 of chapter 11. Paul the Apostle writes and says, Imitate me <clears throat> just as I also imitate Christ. Guys, to me, this is one of the most remarkable statements that could ever be made that ought to be commonplace in the Christian life. Uh, Paul, knowing that he was a follower of Jesus, didn't hesitate to exhort the Christians of Corinth to follow after him as he followed after the Lord. Being himself a wise man, Paul knew what we all do well to recognize, and that is that as believers, generally, I would just say as people in general, we need examples. You realize that, don't you? That as people, we need examples, people to look to, people to kind of get a, a feel for. You know, here you, your kids, when your kids are confused, or when your neighbors have questions, or new believers wondering what path to take, or which decision to make, or, you know, what is the Christ-like way here? What is the godly um, course of action in this, my present situation? And Paul says here, look, I'm establishing myself for you as an example of what godly living looks like. And family, truth be told, this was a rather commonplace thing for Paul to do. When he wrote to the Philippians, he said, brethren, join in following, notice, my example. And note those who so walk or who have uh, followed my example, who have uh, begin to uh, live like I have shown, as you have us for a pattern. That's chapter 3. In chapter 4, he said, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me... These do, and the God of peace will be with you. And family, I don't want you to think that, you know, since he was an apostle, that he had some sort of super saintly strength that was afforded to him and maybe the other apostles that, you know, uh, just simply isn't uh, feasible uh, for us. You know, he told Timothy to do the same thing. He said, let no one despise your youth. But be an example to the believers, notice, in word, what you say, conduct, what you do, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Guys, you don't have to be what we might say or call a seasoned saint to be an example. You know, you got some miles on you. Timothy was a young man when Paul exhorted him in this fashion, be an example to the believers. Yet it's tragic how few today are, are willing to say what Paul said. But rather, because of compromise and ungodliness, we too often say, listen, don't look to me. Don't put your eyes on me. You just look to Jesus, you know, kind of a thing. And guys... Though it's certainly true. I mean, let's, let's go ahead and, and just get this uh, out of the bag and in order right here, right now. It's certainly true that we must all ultimately look to Jesus. Yet equally it's true that we should all be an example of what it looks like to look to Jesus. Right? I mean, you're telling me to look to Jesus. What does a life that looks to Jesus look like? Right? 
I mean, will I know if I, if, I, if I look at you, if I look to you, will I know what this life that looks to Jesus is supposed to emulate? And if not, I have to ask, why not? I mean, are you not looking to Jesus? Ladies and gentlemen, these are searching questions for us all. And let's not forget that we're coming out of a context whereby Paul has been exhorting the Christians there in Corinth to be willing to lay aside their rights for the sake of others. To understand that the right to do something doesn't make it the right thing to do. You with me? The right to do something doesn't make it the right thing to do. And at the end of chapter 10, you're already there because you're in verse 1 of chapter 11. You can just look at it where he writes, Not seeking my own profit or my own well-being, but the profit of many that they may be saved. And the idea is not to think of myself, but to do what I do for the sake of others. That there be nothing standing in the way of them seeing Jesus and surrendering to Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, you, you can think of our, our Lord. He, Jesus was not thinking of himself. You know, he was not asserting his rights. He said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his help. So he, he lived a life serving others, sacrificing himself for others. Why? That they might be saved. And that's the kind of life, Paul is saying, that you and me, that we have been called to, to live as well. But we note that this is what we might call, he says here in verse 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And this is what we might call a conditional command. He says, imitate me, notice, just as I also imitate Christ. In other words, there are limits to my example that you're to follow. So much as you see me imitate Jesus, imitate me. In those areas that I'm not measuring up, listen, carry the baton beyond where I've fallen short. Please don't imitate me. Pray for me. <laughs> Again, ultimately, Jesus is our focus, but yes, generally, we're to be, he says here, examples one to another. Are you with me? Okay, just making sure. Now, let's look at verse 2. He says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Okay, real quick before we get into this, I want to go ahead and alleviate a little bit of stress that can infiltrate here in verse 2 that revolves... Now, we're not there yet, ladies. Listen, I'm going to be honest. This might be a little bit of a rough ride for you today, but you want to hear the Word of God, right? Unapologetically taught in truth and, and let the chips fall where they may. That's what we do here, okay? But I trust we'll all see the balance by the time our time here is finished. But I want to I kind of alleviate a little bit of stress, not around the part that all you ladies instantly was gravitating toward. We'll, we'll talk about that. But around this word traditions here in verse 2. Because we've been taught, he says, you know, I praise you that you keep the traditions, and we've been taught, we've been trained that traditions within the religious world can be toxic. And indeed, they can. But when Paul speaks of traditions here, he's not speaking of those things that Jesus rebuked that was so prevalent in the scribes and Pharisees. You know, those things that lead to us becoming these old non-pliable wineskins having become so rigid and outdated in what we do and when we do and how we do it and all of that. Well, we can look, we've always done it this way, you know, that kind of mentality. That's not at all what Paul is talking about. What he's speaking here of is simply the teachings, the practices of the apostles that were received by them from Jesus, having been passed on from them to the Corinthian Christians. Are you following me? 
In other words, what's in view is not ceremonies and rituals, but basic teaching and doctrine, okay? But it's here in verse 3 that Paul lays down the foundation for the rest of his teaching, or uh, for his teaching in the rest of the chapter, and put simply, Paul makes it clear, you guys, that Paul has established, that God has established, Paul makes clear that God has established principles of order, authority, and accountability, okay? Just keep that in mind. Order, authority, and accountability. Now, what he's not establishing is a status of superiority versus inferiority. And guys, we can easily illustrate this very quickly, quite simply, by just keeping the context of the verse. Notice he says in verse 3, the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man. And notice this one, the head of Christ is God. Listen, the Bible is clear in no uncertain terms that Jesus, you're with me on this, right, is very God of God. Right? I mean, in other words, he's not like God. Jesus isn't like God. Uh, Jesus isn't someone created by God. Right? Let's go back to, you know, as the Jehovah Witness might lead you to want to believe. But go back to John 1 and verse 1, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. God was the Word. All things were created through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Let me ask you a question. If, if I say nothing without him, nothing was made that was made, how can he be made? Okay, so you're with me. Verse 14, and the word became flesh. God, God was the word, and God became flesh. So here's Jesus, God, wrapped, robed in humanity, equal in every way, on every level, as God the Father. In fact, uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, the author there developing the superiority of Jesus over the angels, and he points out God the Father calling the Son his God. And you read that in, in Psalm 45. You know, he's, he's pointing out that God calls all the angels to worship the Son. And then we read this. But to the Son, there it is. Marion, you're on point today. <laughs> but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Let's go back to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, God was the Word. Nothing, without, through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Uh, listen, your throne can't be forever if you have a beginning, if, if you've been made. You, you see, are you following me there? So, I mean, you're either eternal, you're either forever, or you're like, you're finite. Infinite or finite? Okay. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, he says it again, your God, the Father, has anointed you, the Son, with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So God the Father refers to the Son as God. So ladies and gentlemen, you're either God or you're not. Are you with me? You're either equal in every way. Now, you can't be above God, can you? God is, God is, he is on high. He is the highest, right? So you're either equal to God or you're less than God. And if you're less than God, then you're not God. Are you following me? Okay. So again, superiority, inferiority, is not in view in verse 3 of chapter 1, or chapter 11 of, of 1 Corinthians. Okay? Roles, responsibility, accountability. That's what we're seeing established. Jesus willingly, voluntarily, gladly submitted to the authority pertaining to redemptive purposes of the Father. Now, did that make him inferior to the Father in any way? Come on. Did, no. Even so, okay, ladies, here comes our application, right? Even so, the woman who submits to her husband, which is what we're speaking of here, and we'll see that, 
or as it pertains to the local assembly, the public gathering, the local spiritual authority in the public assembly, okay, doesn't do so out of inferiority, but willingly out of humility in order like Jesus to bring glory to God, okay? And by the way, again, that's what Paul is speaking about when he uses the word head. That's, the, that's kind of the key word that we're seeing that begins to lift out of verses 3 and 4 and 5 and all of this. Uh, the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. Not superiority, but authority. And guys, ladies, gentlemen... I think we all know, one thing we all know is that authority is not necessarily any indication of superiority, okay? There, there may be many cases whereby someone under authority of a person within, say, a company is much more competent in several arenas than is their supervisor or team leader or whatever. Uh, but authority creates structure responsibility, and the matching accountability. And since, and here's where it kind of just gets like, it alleviates my personal feeling of like when I'm under someone else's authority, there's a sense of freedom that comes with that to me because they're the ones that are shouldering the accountability, okay, before God. And since there's a responsibility and an accountability, it is right and appropriate that I would submit to the one who is over me or my authority, whether it be I'm an employee or in my family, you get the idea. Now, Paul is developing, he is describing uh, three headship relationships, okay? Jesus, the head of every man, Man, the head of woman, the father, the head of the son. And in connecting these three, he puts them all in the same category. He establishes a principle of headship as the same among them all. He's putting them all right here for us to see, okay? First of all, he says the head of every man is Christ. The head of every man is Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus made it clear. He said all. Authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All of it. Not some of it. All of it. He is the head of every man. Question. Does every man come willfully in humility, gladly under the authority of Jesus that he might bring God glory? No, not at all. Not at all. Of all the men I've known, most have had to be mastered by Jesus and have had to come under his authority once they come under his authority, kicking and fighting in a rebellious attitude that has to be won over. And so, ladies, the way I see it, and you're free to disagree, you have one of two choices as it pertains to your coming under the authority of your husband or as it pertains to the public assembly, your local spiritual authority. Uh, because we should point out, and I love this, I love how the Holy Spirit, guys, details are important. Do you agree with that? Yes. And, I, and I love how the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write what he wrote here. Because sometimes what's not said is just as important as what is said. And so did you notice the detail? The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write that the head of every man, categorically, without exception, you see, the head of every man is Christ. But he didn't say the head of every woman is every man. Did you see that? Guys, it's not a general call to submission, every woman to every man. 
When you study scripture, you discover, even as is the context here, there are only two arenas, two environment, the atmosphere of two occasions in which woman is called to come under the authority of a man. Number one, uh, in her home, right? Listen, God has given the headship, and gentlemen, let's keep it clear, it's headship, not dictatorship, okay? God has given the headship the responsibility, the accountability of the family to the man. And we'll see that a little bit more in in just a minute. So that's the one arena. The second arena, in the church. God has given the role, the responsibility, the spiritual authority within the church to male headship. Again, not dictatorship, Headship doesn't mean that women can't pray, can't prophesy, you know, uh, or, or serve or whatever. It just means that they do so under the covering of their husband or the local spiritual authority in the corporate assembly. Beyond that, ladies, listen, I don't know how else to say it. Do what you want. I mean, be all that you can be. Run companies, join the military, be the president. doesn't matter, okay? Uh, however... Within the home and the church, this is God's established structure and order. Now, and here's where we circle back around. You can either be like man in coming under the authority of Christ, um, rebelliously kicking, screaming, you know, or you can be like Jesus in coming under the authority of God the Father Willingly, in humility, in loving submission, in complete equality. Understanding that in Christ, as Paul would say in other places, there is neither male nor female, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. We're all one. There's total equality. But we're talking about structure, order, authority, accountability before God. Again, zero distinction pertaining to personal worth or ability or intellect or spirituality, okay? Simply roles, responsibilities, and accountability. Now, look at verse 4. He says, every man praying or prophesying... And by the way, I just want to say prophesying. Uh, just get this little thing out of the, out of the way here. It can mean, uh, you know, uh, fourth telling, you know, or pardon me, foretelling the future or whatever, you know, thus says the Lord and all of that. Um, but it can also just be a forth telling of the word of God, like what I'm doing right now. Okay. It's just bringing forth God's word. So look at it like this. Praying, okay, is speaking to God on behalf of man. Prophesying is speaking to man on behalf of God. Are you with me? So we're just talking about the order of a church service, like you're flowing, you're, here you are, you're the person who's kind of leading or facilitating the service, whether through prayer or prophecy, sharing God's word or intercession or whatever, okay? So let's not, it's not, he's not necessarily talking about something overly mystical or whatever, but he's talking about the order of a church service, okay? Are you with me? All right, <laughs> making sure. I'm not sure if you're, if you're with me or you're thinking about like, you know, uh, Taco Bell or something. All right, verse 4, where were we? Okay, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Okay. You guys are like, what are you going to do now? Um, (laughs) There's a few things we need to unpack here, right? One thing that I want you to see, guys, and this is kind of, I'm not going to digress, I promise, we're going to get to it all, but one thing that I want you to see that maybe you haven't, I shouldn't even say that, that I hadn't before uh, here, is that when it comes to uh, a worship service, it's a time to honor not only God, okay, which is obviously paramount, it's why we're here, but other people as well. Did you note that as we went through? 
I want you to note the word. Remember we talked about what's said, but also what's not said. He, he talks about dishonor here over and over again. It's, it's kind of making its way. This word dishonor is kind of making its way to the surface in a couple of different places. And the short of it is this. You and me, we cannot honor Christ in a worship service or we cannot honor Christ in worship while at the same time dishonoring our fellow worshipers. Do you understand that? Be it in our attitude toward them or the way we present ourselves around or among them, whatever, okay? And for the sake of the application of our context, he's saying that in the corporate assembly, men are expected to honor Christ and how they handle themselves, and wives are expected to honor their husbands or, again, the, the local spiritual authority, even as Christ honors the Father and brings glory to the Father. Now, guys, I'm going to let the cat right out of the bag here. The way that this happens practically, okay, the practical application of how does the woman honor her husband even as, as um, you know, the man is to honor Christ and all of that, the way this happens practically may vary Okay, from culture to culture. But the principle remains constant. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the practice will change depending on where and when you may be, but the principle stays the same. Here, Paul speaks of a head covering, not a veil. Okay, if your Bible says veil, um, that's okay, but don't think of it, of it as a veil like, uh, like you might see in an Islamic culture where it's a head wrap and it covers the, the face and everything and only the eyes are seen and all that. That's, that is not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is more of like a shawl, you know, that would be kind of drawn up over uh, the head or, or something like that. And he says that because of this order of authority, that it's inappropriate for men to pray with a head covering and inappropriate for women to pray or to prophesy or share, whatever, without a head covering. Now, guys, in many ancient cultures, and it's still in some today, the head covering was an important public symbol of being under the authority or the covering or the protection of another. And to go out into public as a woman without a head covering, was to announce to anyone and everyone else that you weren't under any kind of covering and that you were available. Now, again, when I say that you were available, that doesn't mean that you were available, I'm single, come make me a wife. No, it was I'm available, come proposition me like a prostitute. Okay, I'm not under anyone's authority. I'm not under anyone's covering. I'm available, come see me. That's what this would, and definitely in ancient Corinth it was this way, but in many places uh, over, uh, you know, throughout history. And so Paul is saying, hey, uh, for a woman to throw off her covering, that's not an act of liberation. It's an act of degradation. She may as well have her head shaved, which was a sign of disgrace. The shaved or the super short hair on a woman in ancient cultures, guys, I mean, you can do your own due diligence, but let me just tell you, it meant different things in different places, but none of it was good, okay? Um, it might mean that you were an adulteress, had your head shaved. It, it might mean that you were a lesbian. Uh, it might mean that, uh, you know, you uh, were a prostitute, all of which would dishonor your husband, and that's why Paul says, listen, if you're going to uncover your head while you pray or you prophesy, listen, in for a penny, in for a pound, just shave your head and make your shame and the dishonoring of your husband and the spiritual authority of the public assembly complete in identifying with the women of the world. Now, we see here, guys, uh, by guys, I just mean in general, everybody, I don't understand like this. You may have to make it clear, you know, um, that a woman serving or praying or prophesying. Listen, none of these things present a problem at all. The problem that Paul is putting into perspective for us 
is that if she does so in a manner that's disrespectful or out of order, that's dishonoring to the covering that she's under, well, then, then that presents an issue, okay? However, he says, the man dishonors his head. So in other words, he's using the word head like, okay, a physical head covering dishonors your head or your authority. The man if has a physical head covering. It dishonors his head, his authority, Christ, okay? If he prays or prophesies with his head covered, why? Well, you remember how we said that when the woman puts, uh, takes off the covering, she's saying, I'm not under anyone's authority. Even though God has said, wait, wait, that's not how I established it. That's not how I ordered it. So there's a disgrace. There's a dishonor here. But when the man puts the head covering on, uh, he's saying, look, I'm not in authority here, yet because God, you know, I'm under a covering here, yet because God has established him as the authority, it dishonors the Lord for him to say he's not in authority, okay? Do you, you see what I'm saying? But when the woman says, I'm not under authority, uh, even though God has placed man over her, it dishonors her husband. Um, it, it, now, in our culture, we don't use head coverings. Um, we just, we don't. Uh, for our culture, I mean, and again, it may, it may vary here and there. But I would say, you know, honor your husband or, you know, the spiritual authority of the public assembly, wherever you may be. Uh, you know, by maybe the way we would look at it is the way one might dress um, or act in a way that gives people a wrong impression. Right? There you are. And, and uh, you know, ladies, I'm just going to say it. You know, you're dressing all skimpy and things are maybe a little overly revealing or, you know, whatever the case may be, you're a married woman and you're a little flirtatious or whatever. And it's like, this is, this is not honoring to your husband. You see that kind of a, that kind of a thing. That's what Paul would kind of make more of a practical modern day application along those lines. Uh, You're giving people the wrong impression by the way that you're handling yourself in the assembly. Does that make sense? And, And so again, the practice may change, but the principle does not. Okay. Now, uh, in, in verse 7, he says, For a man indeed uh, ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. And for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, ladies and gentlemen, verses, uh, you know, what, uh, four through six, the previous verses here make clear what is appropriate, the what of it, okay, regarding the principle of headship in the church. These verses, seven through ten, make clear why it's appropriate. So see, so now we see what is appropriate, and then Paul says this is why it's appropriate. Now, one reason we've already discussed, and that's simply because God in his sovereignty has simply determined an order of authority, both in the home and the church that establishes man as the head. Again, not, not dictator, um, not better, not superior, but the, the, the head, okay, the leader, the, the uh, authority. And by the way, men, uh, I would say this, uh, this is not a call to be the head, okay? You are the head, and, and you need to, now, you're either doing well with it or you're not, okay? Uh, but God holds you and me. We will be, as men, held accountable either way. It's not something God is calling you to be. God is calling you men to be. No, it's something God has caused you to be, and it's what you are. And listen to me, our wives will generally reflect how well we're doing with that. Just FYI. Okay? Um, but so one reason that this is the why behind the what is because this is just quite 
frankly, Paul just puts it out there very clearly. This is the order that God has determined. Okay? Another reason, he says, number two, is rooted in the order of creation as we read here. God created Adam first and then gave him responsibility over Eve. He says, for man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Guys, just go back. You don't have to right now. You can write it down. You can look it up later. It's in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. You know, after God made everything and, and he said that it was good and, and, you know, there was Adam kind of giving a name to all the, the animals and, and yet there was no helper found comparable or comparable to him and God said it's not good that man should be alone. You know, Adam's like picking up on what God's putting down. Does that make sense? He's like, Mr. Monkey, Mrs. Monkey. Mr. Giraffe, Mrs. Giraffe, you know, uh, Mr. Rhino, Mrs. Rhino, whatever. And then he's like, I'm Mr. Man. I don't have a Mrs. Man kind of a Mrs. kind of a thing here. And, and so, so, so he, he's kind of picking up the vibe. And, and God says, I'm going to make a, a helper that's comparable to him. In other words, he wasn't comparable, by the way. On the evolution chain, wasn't comparable to the ape or the monkey or the whatever the case may be. There was there was nothing for him in that capacity, and so God said that He would make Adam a helper who would be comparable to him. Again, He wouldn't be there to carry out Eve's agenda and Eve's vision, but she was to share in and help carry out His vision, His agenda for the family. Okay. And God didn't bring Adam to Eve after he took from Adam's side and created the woman, but rather he brought Eve to Adam, okay? And guys, listen to me. Honestly, I realize, don't think I don't know, okay? I realize that this whole idea that we're talking about today flies in the face. It is offensive to the spirit of our age. But the Bible is clear on these matters, and I would just say on either extreme, chauvinism and feminism um, are both, both are destructive to a biblical worldview, okay? Uh, listen, men, women, we're not competing. Now, I realize, I realize that there is a sense in which it can sometimes feel like that. Do you realize even that goes back to the beginning, when, when God told Eve that your desire will be for your husband, a lot of times women will interpret that, or maybe you've been taught like, I just really, I'm just so for him. I just, I just love him and this and that. That's not really what it's saying. He says your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. It's like when you say, I'm coming for you. It's like I, I want to rule over. I will be the authority over there's a, there's a tension there, okay? So your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. So it seems like, like there's competing, but what God would have us to recognize is that we're to be completing, okay? Not competing, but completing roles and responsibilities that God has entrusted to each of us. The man is to be over the woman. Jesus is over the church. And, and just in that same manner, guys, we see when we talk about headship, not dictatorship, how is Jesus over the church? In loving self-sacrifice and service for his bride. This is how we are to oversee the authority of our homes or the church. You get the idea. Now, let me also say this, as long as we're talking about going back to God's word, if you'll allow me to, to, to semi-digress just for a second here, you guys realize that if we would just stick to the word of God, it would solve so many struggles and dilemmas that we're confronted with as a society today. I mean, for instance, I mean, let's just throw this one right out there. I mean, it's something that's thrown in our faces every, every day. How many genders are there exactly? Well, if you believe the Bible, if you go back to the book of Genesis, if you go back to the beginning, there's only two. Male and female 
He created them. He created them. Male and female. That's it. And to go any farther is both to deny and to defy the word of God. But guys, listen to me. I want you to see what's happening in our culture, in our society, in the world today through, through the lens of a biblical worldview. Because, man, believe me, they want to take you and teach you that there's all kinds of variabilities, all kinds of possibilities, all kinds of things, and it's an attack on the Word of God. I mean, that's always been Satan's agenda since Genesis chapter 3. Again, guys, I'm just throwing these out there, but I want you to look them up later. You know, there he was when he was talking to Eve. Has God indeed said? Wanting you to question the integrity, the validity of the word of God. Here's another one. How many races are there? Oh, you guys must read your Bibles. (laughs) I mean, listen, if we believe the word of God that we all ultimately spring forth from Adam and Eve into Noah and then out from there, right? Well, then uh, there's only one race, the human race. That's it. I mean, that's the end of it. Yes, there are different ethnic groups, people groups. Say it how you want. And, And believe me, we don't have time, but those differences are easily explained in the amount of information and variation that God placed within the DNA of each one of you. There's so much variation in every one of you. Let's put it like this. this something I learned while I was at the little uh, Ark Encounter. I'll throw this one out there for you. Atoms, you know, those little bitty things that none of us can see, but if you f- split it, you get the atom bomb and all of that. And there, there is one in 10 to the 80 zeros following atoms in the world, okay? That's a, it's a, one followed by 80 zeros, a number that's, we can't even comprehend it. But in every single one of you who are here, this is why, you know, you look around, how many billions of people are there and have there been on the planet, and yet no two of them have ever been exactly the same. I mean, we all have ears, we all have eyes, we all have known this and that, but no one ever looks quite the same. You know why that is? Because woven in the strand of your DNA is, is one followed by 2,017 zeros amount of information and variation that God has woven into your DNA. Think about that. My point is this, if we will just submit to God's word, so many of this world's struggles would just be so simply solved. God loves you. He has answers for you. They are there. You know, we just kind of take, well, someone told me this, so I guess that's that. Well, wait, what does the word of God say? What do we, what's the conclusion that we draw if we just read the Bible, believe the Bible? And we could get into it, guys, but we don't, I mean, but believe me when I, maybe just look up our YouTube channel and and there's little uh, what the Bible really says things. And I I have this little 15, 20 minute thing that Jody and I go through regarding uh, how can I really believe the Bible? You know, how do I know that I can trust the Bible? That it's not just man's, you know, ideas and concepts, outdated, ancient, this and that. How does the Bible prove its own validity and veracity and integrity and all this? It's all there, guys. But the third reason that Paul points out, so number one, right, God sovereignly ordered a, a, you know, a structure. Number two, the order of creation. He, puts the, he shows the, the, the order of authority in creation. The third reason that Paul points out as to why this order of authority is so important, it almost seems like a throwaway line, doesn't it? There in, in verse 10, look at verse 10, guys. And I promise, though, we're only at verse 10. We're not going to be here a whole lot longer, okay? But, but look at verse 10. He says, For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. You go, wait, what? I mean, he just kind of says that, and then he moves on. You go, wait, Paul, back up. How many of you realize that angels are present in any corporate assembly when Christians gather to worship? You realize that? I mean, if you could peel back this natural order and see into the spiritual realm right now, I don't know, maybe we all would have dressed a little nicer. You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, I'm just making that up, but I'm just saying it's like the 
angels among us, right? And let's remind ourselves that angels are not omniscient. They're not all-knowing. Though, um, you know, certainly immeasurably more intelligent than you and me. I mean, I want to give the impression that, like, you know, they don't have their act together or something. Um, but, but not, they don't know everything. And God has ordained that they should learn, be it of the miracle of His grace, the miracle of the gospel, you know, the work of His word in our lives, through observing our lives in Christ. You realize that? Again, right here in your margin, right by verse, what, uh, 10, just write down Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Look those up later. So, but here's the idea. When we depart from God's ordained order, guys, it upsets the learning curve. It violates propriety. We need to understand, here's the thing. We get so microscopic in our, in our, like our tunnel vision with regard to what God's doing. But the truth is we need to understand that God's plan for the ages transcends you and me. It's not limited to or only about you and me. God's teaching not only you and me, but the angelic community as well. Did you realize that? And so for the sake of God's glory, for the sake of the angelic community, let's honor God's established order for the sake you know, and structure of authority, not to mention the angels themselves honor God in submitting to the order of God. And so imagine the offense in observing God's redeemed creation. Those whom Christ came for, uh, laid down his life, broken body, God wrapped in humanity, shedding his blood that he might save us, you see, made in his own image, bought at the price of his blood, disrespecting, disobeying the very word, the wisdom of God and refusing to observe the order of authority. And let's not forget that they saw Satan and a third of the angels fall from heaven because they refuse to submit to God's order. They know well the destruction that a lack of submission can cause. And perhaps now you can see just a little more clearly why things such as misappropriating gender identity, a blurring of the line between men and women, people mutilating their bodies and uh, enhancing them chemically through hormonal uh, you know, uh, uh, enhancements and all, desiring to be what God has not created them to be is such a violation of God's holy word. Styles that push the thought of zero difference between men and women regardless of the fact of God's creation, His plan, His purpose for His people. Now again, guys, we're not talking about a general submission, you know, women to men and all that. Just the church and the home. Politics, business, education, on and on, no limitation. But in the home and concerning the directive leadership of the church, God has entrusted those roles to men. But guys, this can be a real struggle, can it? And, and, and I would say this, that um, the struggle is not limited to the church or to the home, is it? As it pertains to order and authority. I mean, for over half a century, probably I would say if we put our finger on it, and no, I can't say categorically, but I would say sometime around the 60s, right? Since about the 60s or so, our country has seen a massive shift in the way that we see and accept authority overall. You know, citizens don't have the same respect for government's authority. Students don't have the same respect for a teacher's authority. Children don't have the same respect for parental authority. Employees don't have the same respect for an employer's authority. People don't have the same respect for police authority. And Christians no longer have the same respect for church authority. Now ask yourself this, have these changes been good? Do you feel safer? Are you more confident in our culture? Has television and other forms of entertainment, have they gotten better or worse, not technologically, but morally, right? Family, it's fair to describe our present state as one of moral anarchy. Guys, zero moral authority in our culture. 
All that matters is what I want to do. And if I don't agree with you, I'm just going to rebel against you. Guys, that's not indicative of being under authority at all. It only states I'll cooperate with you so long as things are going the way that's agreeable to me, which means the only thing that matters is what I want to do. And so the attack on authority, I want you to see this, guys, and you know, stay with me, is a subtle yet direct satanic strategy to destroy both our society and the lives that comprise it. Do you see that? or that are comprised within it. Corrupt authority, reject authority. Yet, order and authority, think about this. Here's another level to think about it, as far as why should we honor God's you know, order and all. Order and authority are a vital part of God's very being. Think about that. We refer to God, how do we refer to him? In a, in a triune capacity, right? We call it the Trinity. Uh, you know, uh, the first, the second, the third person of the Godhead, we say, right? Yet we don't refer to, we, we recognize that, that kind of the given within that, that phraseology, if you'll allow me, is, is um, uh, not superiority or inferiority as though the Father is the most superior and then the Son is like the second superior and then the, the Holy Spirit's probably, if you had to say inferior, you know, he's the, he's the, the least of the three. No, not at all. God forbid, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all co-equal, completely in every way. But pertaining to order and authority, we see it, don't we? The willful, voluntary submission. So our failure to submit to biblical authority, guys, isn't just wrong and sad. It sins against the very nature of God. Remember 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 23? For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Think about that. Hmm. Now look at verse 11. Nevertheless, neither is man, and this is where we, we begin to see balance here, right? Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. What's the idea here? Paul is saying, let's not get it twisted. Um, it's true that woman came from man, but every man since then came through, has come through woman. So neither is independent of, of the other. There's a critical in, interdependence that, that must be recognized, okay? Guys, and, um, and we're not far from finished. You don't, hey, let's not forget that on the 4th of July, I let you guys go early, okay? So you owe me this, all right? Um, <laughs> married life um, and ministry... Can I just say, they're like, they're team sports, if you'll allow me that. Um, and if we don't fulfill our role, we can't win. I mean, when you watch football or baseball or basketball, I mean, you could, you could insert any, any team sport. It takes each one fulfilling their role to create efficiency and to operate successfully, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. Um, it doesn't matter how great the quarterback can throw if receivers aren't doing their job, right? Which is better, the quarterback or the receiver? Well, I mean, listen, I mean, the quarterback has the authority to call the plays, right? But if the receivers, the linemen, the running backs, if they're not all fulfilling their roles, um, they'll never win. So it's not about superiority. There's equality, but there has to be structure and authority or it makes for disaster. Are you, do you see what I'm saying? Okay. And finally here, and uh, uh, Jared, this is your cue. You can come on out. Let's read uh, verse 13. He says, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it dishonors him? That's nothing personal, Jared. I mean, just, <laughs> somewhere it says, I think in the King James it says, 
shame, you know, but not sin, okay? Um, but uh, does not even, it dishonors him. But if a woman, and, and here's the other thing, what is long hair? How long is long, right? Well, it depends. That's a relative question, isn't it? I mean, to me, Jared's got pretty long hair. But, you know, to Willie Nelson, not so much. I mean, you know, I'm just... <laughs> but if a woman, he says, so, so uh, if a woman has long hair, it's a glory for her, um, for her hair is given to her for a covering. This is going to be hilarious because you've got a haircut coming up. You're gonna, people are going to be like, he heard that study and we got a haircut. He's already had, it's, it's not like that. Um, but uh, here in uh, verse 16, he says, but notice here in verse 16, let's regather. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Uh, look, Paul says, even nature shows that a woman's glory is in her covering. And again, I mean, we made a little joke here, but it just happened to be the timing was right. I promise I wasn't planning that. But um, this isn't saying that long hair on a man is, is sinful. I mean, gosh, I had long hair for years and years. Most of you know that. Um, Paul is simply pointing out that as a general rule, okay, as a general rule, in every culture, everywhere, I would go as far as to say throughout all time, <laughs> um, women typically, again, I won't say categorically, I won't say that there's never been an exception or anything, but typically women wear their hair longer than men. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's a glorious thing. It's not a bad thing. He says, but if anyone seems contentious, right? The idea is, hey, the practice of the head covering isn't the issue. We already established that in our time. He's saying, look, if you want to be contentious about it, the practice, you know, isn't the issue. But the principle of being self-serving versus recognizing God's structure and order is the issue, okay? Um, you don't want to wear a head covering. And again, in our culture, it's not really that... It's, you know, for the most part, it's not a big, but in the case of the Corinthian Christians, you say, look, you want, you don't want to wear a head covering. You know, that's up to you. It's not required. The practice is not required, but this principle is. And so the idea here, guys, is what happens outwardly. Okay. Whether it's the head covering or how I dress or the way I act or whatever the case may be will be taken care of when I tend to what's happening inwardly in my heart. Okay? So, what's the takeaway? Honor God. Honor one another. We talked about that. And others will be edified and God will be glorified in your life. Amen? Okay. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, that we take it to heart and honor you from the heart. We want you to be magnified and glorified in our lives. And so, Lord, uh, I just want to just pray, God, that you'd forgive us for, you know, so often we just give ear and make way for the spirit of our age and kind of go, well, you know, this is what they're saying. So, I, you know, and, and we just completely forget to, to honor your word and to hold that biblical worldview. And I pray, Lord, that you would kind of quicken us with that and kind of recalibrate us with that. And family, I would just say while, while we're here, uh, ladies, gentlemen, we want God to be magnified and glorified in our lives. But while we're kind of in this prayer posture, listen, Christ can't be magnified in your life. He's not in your life. So let's start right there. Because that can change right here and right now. I would just encourage you to turn from your sin, to believe in Jesus Christ, 
and he'll forgive you of your sin. He'll give you eternal life and make you right in the sight of God. And so, listen, if nothing else in this message, this time spent uh, just going through these things has resonated in you or in any way had an impact upon you, then, then just hear this. God loves you. Christ died for you. And salvation awaits you by grace through faith in him.